Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We're sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time. Hello and welcome to the world famous world cricket show, the world's favourite cricket show. My name is Adam Bayfield and I'll be your host for all of tonight's madcap antics. And sat across from me in the studio is the original mad scientist of cricket punditry, it's Tony Kerr. Uh, I don't know how to respond to that really. Not much of a scientist, more of an artist I think. I see myself. Well, I kind of blend art and science, I guess. <laughs> like uh, Da Vinci. Yeah, very much like that. You are the Da Vinci of our generation. Athletic pursuit as well, so it's kind of like the three things, isn't it? Yeah, you're Da Vinci slash David Beckham, <laughs> sort of all rolled into one. That's that's very much how I see you. I don't know. I could see you as a as a scientist. A Renaissance man. Your beard is getting so extreme. It's not getting that big. If you grew the hair as well, threw on a lab coat, you know, you could probably pass off as a scientist. I mean, you would kind have. Of, it'd be like maybe a, if you had a science degree as well, that yeah. that would help. But, but a science-based degree, not really help then, is it? I, I suppose mean, geography. Yeah, is that science? Well, broadly, it's kind it's of like, well. That is it, ooh, isn't it? That is geography. Well, people are moving from the countryside into the cities. <laughs> yeah, well done. First thing is, I think if you put a lab coat on me now, I'd look like some kind of Soviet era. I don't know. I'm thinking of gold now. So I'm like some <laughs> Siberian kind of. War scientist thing. Yeah, someone who would like throw their hands in the air when when uh, Bond walks in and go yeah. like, but you'd shoot him anyway. I get shot yeah, anyway. Just, exactly. Yeah, just for a laugh just, because yeah. you know it's funny to shoot people on video kind games. Kind of pixelated square face, just running. Yeah, I don't know. I see myself very much as the Marty McFly to your Doc Brown on this podcast. You know, I'm the sort of wide-eyed, impressionable young idealist. Uh, so the story's about you, basically. and you're crazy. And I'm, you know, a genius. Yeah, I'm the protagonist. Oh, I don't care. I don't really care about anybody. <laughs> no, I don't, I'm, I'm more kind of, I'm like Biff's uncle. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's future Biff. Oh, that's future Biff, sorry. Yeah, not Biff's uncle. Yeah, future Biff. You do call me Knucklehead. Quite a lot. <laughs> I do. <laughs> think, Bayfield, think. <laughs> Why don't you make like a tree? And get the hell out of here. That should be our, how <laughs> yeah. we wrap up the show each week. Since when did you become the physical type? <laughs> you must fly, you bozo. Those pots don't work on water. And other lines well, from Back is, to the Future. Now that, now that you've run out of run out of nationalities to impersonate, I guess you can just move on to movie characters now. Just kind of weave in a different movie each week. Yeah, I've been through all 200 plus nationalities on this show. Now, <laughs> and uh, working through one Hollywood blockbuster at a time. I've been working on my Bane impression. Just stuff yeah. like that. That's that, a bit that's outdated, ne- though, that reference. That's next week. Out, yeah. yeah, whereas Back to the Future is right. Well, on the, Back right to the Future is timeless, whereas Bane, like, no one does Bane impressions anymore. You're a loser. <laughs> anyway, carry on. What are we talking about today? Uh, well, cricket, probably. Should I tell you what's coming up on the show today? Uh, because this week has seen the long overdue, some would say, return 
of the fixing scandal uh, that's engulfing cricket once again. We've missed it. So we're going to get right in amongst that. We're going to be getting our hands dirty uh, <laughs> discussing that. We'll also talk a little bit about England v Sri Lanka if we've got time. There'll definitely be some side notes because I've brought a couple of, of good ones there. So lots to talk about. But job one, how are you, Tone? Very well, thanks. How's it going? What's new? What's new with you? Did you have a good weekend? I didn't see you this weekend. Can't remember what I did. It was glorious. Oh, no, I had uh, yeah, a bunch of family over, so I just did family-rated stuff, which is nice. I won't get into my, I don't want to discuss my family on, on, <laughs> on there. I'm prepared to discuss myself. I, uh, I went to a bingo night on Sunday. In fact, not only did I go to a bingo night, I did the calls at a bingo night. Your weekends are getting increasingly wild. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't worry. I was still in bed by 9.45. <laughs> don't panic, Tane. Uh, but yeah, for, I don't know. Is bingo a global phenomenon? Will people around the world know, know what I'm talking about? Good question. It's like a... How would you even describe it? It's like a kind of town... Well, it's like a village... Oh, hang on, here we go. It's like a parish hall lottery, isn't it? <laughs> Communities getting small. <laughs> yeah. It's like a kind of weird backroom lottery. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway. kind of where old... Well, old... All the generations, including many old people, have numbers in front of them. Then you pull some numbers out of a uh, ro- rotunda. <laughs> so is that a word? No. Rot- I think it is. Well, I had a bingo machine. Or a bingo machine yeah. which pops, spews out little balls and numbers Randomly on. generates numbers. And then if numbers. you get all the numbers on your sheet, you, you shout out, you holler, and then uh, you, you win a prize, like a Mars yeah, the, bar or a Snickers. the first person to get all their numbers shouts bingo. Uh, yeah, and they win the prize. I think it probably it's a simple enough game to have to have made it around the world. It's cricket de- it's, has made it around the world. <laughs> Bingo surely has. It's definitely popular in America, but I'm not sure about elsewhere. So. Uh, I went along and, and did the calls. Basically, yeah, not only does the person reading out the numbers have to read them out, but there's also a load of lingo. There's a load of bingo lingo that goes along with Jargon. it. Jargon. Yeah, li- little kind of rhyming slang and phrases that you have to say before each number. Like uh, top of the shop, that's number 90, because that's the highest number. Uh, you should have gone. You should have done some cricket-related ones, like nervous ninety. Yeah, okay. I didn't... Well, like half century. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Or something like that. I don't know. Others out for a duck. Nought. Well, there is duck is a thing, but it's not for nought because that is a number in Mingo. It's uh, one little duck. That's two. Two little ducks. Twenty-two. Duck well, maybe is... that's where duck came from in cricket. Or where, well, know. no, that doesn't make any sense because <laughs> in Bingo, duck is a two because it looks like a duck. So why is nought one little duck? Well, you did say one little duck in cricket, do you? He's out for one little duck. Uh, it's, it was originally duck's egg, because right. the zero looks like a duck's egg. It's round, basically. But it just got shortened to duck. But in bingo, it's it's uh, it's two. So anything with two in, so 20 whatever, is duck and something. Lucky duck is 27, I think. Duck and its mate, 28. But yeah, I was just saying all this stuff, and it, it's, you know, to begin with, people thought it was really funny. Because uh, most of these people, you know, they've not done a lot of bingo before. I'd never called bingo before. It was all it was a, bit a charity of a laugh. event, wasn't it? It was a charity event. We were all having a good laugh. But the thing is, you know, by round nine, it's not funny anymore. And I'm just at the front going, Monkey's Cousin, <laughs> number 12. It's uh, funny for me because it's the first time I've heard it. Yeah. But by the ninth time you've heard that, there's just complete silence in the hall as Story I'm reading these out. Story of your life, isn't it? <laughs> did you, I mean, did you ham it up? Were you going like, oh, monkeys, something, monkeys giblets, number 28 or whatever you... <laughs> it's, a good one is Gandhi's Breakfast, 80. Well, this is the thing. I, I progressively got more 
I got more and more kind of cockney as it went along. So at the start, I was going, you know, one little duck, number two. But then by the end, I'm like, duck and it's mate, 28. <laughs> All the fives, 55. It's not, it's not lakeside. <laughs> it's like, well, like becoming more and more like Paddy McGuinness as well at times. But, <laughs> running around the room no lucky no latty i was saying oh god too many impressions <laughs> in this first part of the show but uh, I, I, at the beginning i was worried that i was being, that i was starting possessed. to sound like the uh, national lottery guy so numbers <laughs> are coming out let's go number one yeah. <laughs> yeah. 17 and the bonus number 12 uh so i thought i'll you know <laughs> which set of balls did i'll you cock use? near up a bit and uh evans gate Number eight, scandal. This is the part of the show where we talk about scandals. Now, Tony, this week the world of cricket was plunged into a fresh crisis when former New Zealand international Lou Vincent revealed that he had been involved in both spot-fixing and match-fixing when he played for Sussex, when he played for Lancashire, when he played in the ICL, and when he played for the Auckland Aces in the 2012 Champions League. Now, he was giving testimony to the ICC's anti-corruption unit, uh, and this was actually a little while ago that he gave the testimony, but it was leaked this week to the Daily Mail. He revealed that he was paid £40,000 to throw a CB40 game for Sussex, and that there were other similar instances, uh, as I say, in county cricket and in tournaments in India. Uh, He said that the bookmakers also tried to pay him with sex at certain points. They tried to pay him with bottles of perfume, which seems a bit odd. After this story broke in the Daily Mail, uh, it was also revealed that Brendan McCullum has been giving evidence to the ICC um, saying that he was approached by a former New Zealand international and someone that he said was, quote, a hero to him, that McCullum was approached to get involved. Now, this former international is the same player that Lou Vincent says... Uh, was the one that got him involved in fixing back in 2008. Some newspapers around the world have subsequently named that player as Chris Cairns, although he's vigorously denied uh, those claims. And today, Tone Vincent has been charged by the ECB uh, with throwing two games in county cricket over the last few years. So, yes, scandal is certainly the word for it. What do you make of it, Tone? Do you think cricket is in a state of denial? about all this. I mean, it's four years now since, uh, uh, you know, all that uh, Salman Butt, Mohammed Amir stuff first came to light. And yet, arguably, we're no further on in terms of tackling this problem. And it still seems like we and most of the cricket community is shocked by things like this. Are we all still very naive? Should we be shocked by these things? Uh, Yeah, denial, I don't know. I don't know if you'd single out cricket, uh, particularly as a sport that's like kind of got intrinsic denial within it. Uh, because I think if you look at football, you know, with some frequency, we hear about stories uh, of UEFA investigating all these suspicious matches and stuff. And, you know, really what comes of it, I don't know if those games are later proved to be clean. But in cricket, certainly there are, yeah, there's been quite a few of these incidents now in recent years. And perhaps that, uh, particularly that spot fixing scandal uh, that, that kind of caught light, didn't it, a few years ago, maybe. Maybe not enough was done in the immediate aftermath of that to kind of weed out everything. I don't know. It does seem amazing that this could come to light now. And it doesn't reflect well in the ICC, does it? Because they looked at this stuff and uh, looked at these games and deemed them to be be fine. 
And it was only later that the ECB's, yeah, the ECB's own anti-corruption unit looked uh, looked again at this stuff and and uh, as as found this well quite remarkable transgression. Yeah, and it it does seem like the only uh, fixing cases that ever get prosecuted are the ones that are leaked in the media somehow. So the spot fixing Salman Butt Mohammed Amir stuff, you know, that wasn't the ICC investigating that. That was a News of the World sting operation. Okay, this is Vincent giving testimony to the ICC. But this was several months ago that he gave this testimony, and they still haven't even interviewed Cairns, even though both he and McCullum have specifically named him as being the ringleader. And they'll interview him now because it's been leaked to the media. But it doesn't reflect well, given how much emphasis the ICC publicly give to their anti-corruption unit and the amount of money that they're pouring into it. There have been basically zero cases brought by this unit. You know, there have been other cases in recent years, Danish Canary and Mervyn Westfield, but they were brought by the ECB. It does suggest that they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. It seems risky to, you know, when the, the spot fixing stuff came out, we talked about that at reasonable length, as did you know, a lot of people. And, you know, it seemed that cricket is ripe for spot fixing because it's so easy and, and really betting, particularly online betting and, and the, just the sheer range of markets available for people to bet on that makes spot fixing seem like a really uh, easy easy picking really well for, also for because cricket is just the type of game that just yeah. bowling a no ball is a very easy thing to do it's not going to be it's not going mean, to immediately appear that, suspicious is it i find it crazy that those markets are available i mean who would which normal right-minded person would bet on those it seems quite well crazy. i think i'm right in saying uh that you can't actually bet on there being a no ball a specific delivery it's more that nobles and wides distort the bracket so you can bet on number of runs scored in a certain number of overs and if bowlers are bowling nobles and wides, and obviously the, the runs mm. are going up. So I think it's that but is even what makes it valuable. Even that's, to you know, that, even that's quite crazy. Makers. But to me, it seems very risky to... Uh, it seems like a gamble in itself to pay someone to throw a cricket match when you've only got, well, one or two players in the game. Uh, to actually throw the result seems quite difficult to me, given that you have to be either batting or bowling at key moments to affect the result. Uh, I don't know. That, so that needs explaining to me, really. But then, in a way, that's what's so disturbing about this. And given how massive a story it was in 2010 when that spot fixing stuff surfaced, it seems like perhaps there's not enough attention being paid to this. Yes, we're not talking necessarily at the moment about Test cricket or international cricket. But even so, match fixing is just another, it's a different order of magnitude to spot fixing isn't it spot fixing to an extent it's just a bit of harmless fun uh you know obviously that's 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 an exaggeration but compared to match fixing bowling a couple of nobles is just not the same crime at all and as you say it does seem odd that you could just pay lou vincent to throw a game and he'd be able to do it which to me suggests that perhaps he wasn't the only one involved and uh, they've charged another guy today um uh, the particular game in question is this 40-over match between Sussex and Kent, was it, three years ago? Uh, and what, Lou Vincent scores one off seven and gets run out. Uh, and uh, Naveed Arif bowls some pretty poor figures, but not, you wouldn't say match-changing figures. Conceded 41 in six overs without a wicket. I don't, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I just, I don't really understand it, to be honest. I don't understand if someone, what can Lou, what's Lou Vincent's one off seven how much impact is that really going to have on the match? Well, no, yes, it, clearly it's, he's not contributed much to his team's performance, but that's not enough. You know, that, I don't understand the, the recourse then after that when, if Lou Vincent walks off and you know, the next guy in has banged 70 or 40 balls. 
and Lee Vincent walks off the pitch and then says to the guy who's paid him 40 grand, he's like, well, I've, you know, I don't know, I don't understand. Well, I, I, I see works. what you mean. Yeah, Lou Vincent can't on his own throw a game with one off seven balls, but I suppose it increases the odds for the bookmakers, doesn't it? It, it makes it less likely that Lou Vincent's side is going to win if, if he you, doesn't yeah, score it's, any it's runs. marginal gains, isn't it? Because you could, you could be laying... Yeah, when he walks off one off seven, yeah, the, the odds are going to swing marginally back in favour of the other team. So, yeah, I suppose... I used the word denial. I do feel that's a little bit applicable here. Cricket fans, ourselves included, you know, we don't want to believe that fixing is widespread, that it's endemic in the game. I certainly don't want to believe that. But like I say, this isn't just spot fixing. This is match fixing. And spot fixing is bad, but it's not, you know, sort of apocalyptic for cricket. But match fixing probably is. I mean, if we start to suspect... Fixing. If we start to suspect that what we're witnessing is is not real, and every time something crazy happens in a game of cricket, we're suspicious about whether it's legit or not, then that's just game over, isn't it? I mean, that's that's the end of cricket. How yeah, can you how can you enjoy it if you're constantly suspicious that it's not what it appears to be? Yeah, I agree. I, I, yeah, the consequences are pretty dire, aren't they? But I, I, I kind of feel like the incidents that have come to light and that have been made public are fairly few and far between. I, you know, who knows, this could be, this trickle could turn into a flood. But I find it hard to believe that there are hundreds, you know, the, the, the number of people involved would have to be vast if you were going to throw loads of matches, you know, so I, I, I can't, I couldn't see, I couldn't see that being a reality. But still, but I mean, that's even, what I mean. even one you, match you... is bad, but I, I struggle to see, you, you know, there'd be, you'd need hundreds of people paying off hundreds of players. Yeah, and no one has uh, at this point suggested that a high-level international in recent times has been fixed. There was talk about a Bangladesh-Zimbabwe one-day series, but you know, no one at this point is saying that oh, you know, the World 2020 final was fixed or anything like that. So you can say, oh, well, if it's an obscure county match or it's an, it's an obscure game in the ICL, then really is it that big of a problem? And I have some sympathy with that view. But once these things start to creep into cricket, then that's going to be in your mind as a spectator all the time. I mean, Andy Bull wrote a really good article in The Guardian this week talking about uh, the 2011 World Cup game between New Zealand and Pakistan when Ross Taylor scored 100. I think he scored about 60 off the last four overs. And it was carnage. And Andy Bull was at the ground and he was really enjoying it. And right before the end, he just got an email from a colleague saying, do we think this is legit? And, you know, he said immediately he just suddenly felt the balloon burst, as it were. And no one has said that, that 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 game wasn't legit. But once you start thinking in that way, then it completely ruins cricket, doesn't it? And that's why these these stories are so damaging to cricket and, and such a big deal. Yeah, I, I agree. We say that there's been no sign or no, uh, you know, no word that, yeah, a top-level match has been thrown. But, yeah, if you were in the business of trying to get matches thrown, you would start with low-level county games, wouldn't you? Be, that, that would be your starting place. But clearly, the temptation to, to move on at some stage to a, to a high-level match would, would be there simply because the you know, opportunity for profit yeah, or to make money would yeah. be huge. It's amazing that this didn't... You know, this, well, I mean, it, it obviously was flagged up, but what they said, £12 million was uh, bet on it on, through one bookmaker, which they said was vastly more than any, you know, any other kind of equivalent match. So... Yeah, that's pretty crazy. But the amount of money that will be bet on huge games, uh, you know, it's proportionally more. And so, yeah, proportionally more profit could be could be available. 
so it does make me question a lot of what you see in cricket and you start trawling back through all the times you know we've seen a side botch an easy run chase or a wicketkeeper drop a straightforward chance you know things like that and you you know suddenly you start to see potential fixes everywhere you start to see enemies lurking in the shadows as it were you know maybe that's part of the reason why cricket is particularly susceptible to fixing because bonkers things do happen all the time and it's easy to make it's fairly straightforward to make make a you know a, a deliberate mistake look accidental a dropped catch here or there or um, a bowler suddenly bowling, you know, a succession of wides or nobles or just having a terrible day. You know, that does happen. And so one more doesn't immediately look suspicious, uh, even if that one more is deliberate. No, I agree that, that it does seem like cricket's pretty susceptible. But, you know, yeah, it surely wouldn't be that difficult in football as a defender just to go to go walk about, you know, let, let an attacker in. Uh, no, that's probably you know, true. And, not and, and tennis as well. Yeah. I mean, clearly other sports it's also true but cricket does seem to be so kind of riddled with with fixing or allegations of fixing over its history but having said all of this about you know it does make me skeptical and makes me question whether i even want to continue watching cricket if i'm suspicious all the time at this point i'm still coming down on the side of well it's probably not my job to be suspicious i'm not in a position to distinguish between what's fixed and what isn't at this point that is a job for the authorities whether or not they're doing that job you know if if the icc exists for any reason it exists for this reason and it isn't doing nearly enough but it has to be the icc's job it has to be the the authorities that deal with it you know as a spectator i can't really do much so as far as i'm concerned i'm just going to get on with watching the cricket <laughs> and i'm going to assume that it's legit until i'm told otherwise Living a dream world bayfield <laughs> well yes i am deluding myself essentially but there's not much I can well, no, do about that. I either do that or I give up watching cricket. And I'm not, pre- I'm not ready to give up on cricket just yet. No. So until someone comes out and says, actually, virtually every game of cricket you've watched in the past 10 years has been... F- there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Fixed. I'm not going to give up on it yet. I'm going to let the authorities do what they can. But it is very worrying. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, it's it's you know leaves a bitter taste, doesn't it? But that's the thing. You know, you ask the question: Is cricket deluded? To to to, to kind of look on the positive side of things and, and and kind of assume rightly or wrongly that actually this kind of stuff can't be that widespread. I, I don't know. It's either optimistic or it's it's kind of looking on the positive side or it is deluded. I don't know. It's, it's hard to pin down. You could say it's naive, uh, perhaps it's willfully naive, but there's not much that me and you can do. 
It seems to me like it's it's like the moon, you know, the, the conspiracy theories around the moon landing. You know, a huge amount of people would need to be in on it, and I just feel like that's the case in this for it to be widespread. Yes, uh, one ca- county game in 2011 being, ma- you know, the, the result of which is fixed is really bad, but. If that's the only, just imagine a situation where that was the only game in the last five years that's been fixed. You'd actually look at that and say that's quite a good record. Well, yeah, then the, that's, the, the authorities are doing quite a good job. Then that's not that bad. But you know, th- there's a suspicion that it's just the tip of the iceberg, and we don't know. And you say so many people would need to be involved in it. Not necessarily that many people. Like supposing every international cricket match. Well, quite a few people was, though, because well, you can't. Lou Vincent can't go more than a few. You know, if he goes five games in a row where he's throwing his wicket away, he's not going to be picked in the next game, is he? So- well, that's true. But even, say, uh, as a bookmaker, you wanted to fix one test match in every series around the world. Whether or not you can actually get the result thrown or whether you can just influence the outcome by having one player deliberately perform badly, you only need to get one guy in each international team and you're laughing. Well, that's, 11, that's, that's 10 or so guys, isn't it? Yeah, which is quite a few people, but that... That might be the number that we're talking about. What can be done about it, Tone? You know, we've said the ICC aren't doing enough. What can and should they be doing? Well, they've got to they've got to be consistent, haven't they, about punishments, and they've got to be consistent about where, you know what kind of what warning signs are investigated because clearly the ICC did or didn't do a good enough job on this this game, which was flagged up to them or which they flagged up to themselves, which is quite peculiar, really. McCullum did say that there's an ICC official that's involved, uh, which would be just disastrous if that's true for the ICC and for the game. Yeah, I mean the ICC haven't got a great reputation as it is, have they? So that yeah, and I guess they've got to be uh, they've got to be honest as well. They can't you know they can't keep these things to themselves. They've got they should be everything should be in the open as, as early as possible. It is difficult. I mean, certainly for us sitting here, it's quite difficult to come up with a sort of specific plan for what they can do. But to an extent, I feel that for the ICC and for the media as well, the, the, the focus is in the wrong place. The, the magnifying glass is in the wrong place a little bit. Now, clearly, the players involved in this do need to be punished. There need to be huge disincentives to stop players taking up the kind of offers that are presented to them. But to a large extent, I do feel that focusing on the players is to miss the point. And I really think that this is what happened in 2010. I think, you know, once Butt and Amir and Asif were in jail, people sort of went, right, OK, we sorted that out then. And we talk about delusions, and that, that was a real delusion, I think. You know, you can, you can punish the players, but they're only going to be replaced by other players who are just as susceptible, you know, particularly in places like Pakistan, Sri Lanka, New Zealand, where the wages aren't that high uh, compared to England, Australia and India, they are going to be susceptible unless you root out the bookmakers and the middlemen and all these people in the shadows. They're the ones that have got to be tackled. Now, I don't necessarily know how you do that, but the focus is in the wrong place for me. You've got to go after those people that are making the offers to the players not the players that are that are taking them up yeah i mean there's there is a big issue looming isn't there with betting and sport because it's it has got out of hand uh there's no doubt about it and i don't know you know growing up i was obviously wasn't old enough to bet so i, I don't know what you know what the situation was like in the 80s for example uh but but now well the scale of it i mean is the just, scale just the involvement just... of bookmakers in sport sponsorship is is just 
bewildering, really. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's very hard, you know, for pundits to sort of on Sky sit there and bemoan what's going on with the fixing when it's all sponsored by Skybet and, you know, there are Betfair ads in between segments of live cricket. You know, as you say, it betting and sport have become so intertwined that it's no surprise that this type of thing is happening. And sport's been quite lucky in many ways, isn't it? Because tobacco advertising got knocked on the head and, uh, you know, they didn't have to wait a huge amount of time before online betting just blew up and, and came along like jangling the, the change. Well, and also the other side to this story and, and again why cricket is perhaps in a slightly unique position is that all these bookmakers that we're talking about are based in India where gambling is illegal and therefore underground. And that's that's the real problem here, isn't it? Because we talk about Indian bookmakers and they're you know, very kind of uh, shadowy, dodgy characters, which they wouldn't necessarily be in other parts of the world. And as long as gambling is illegal in India, you're probably going to be fighting a losing battle or at least an uphill battle, a very steeply uphill battle. <laughs> so, yeah, they pretty much need to change that legislation. It is happening anyway, so they may as well just acknowledge it. It's a bit like, you know, prohibition of alcohol didn't work. You could say prohibition of drugs doesn't work. For those same reasons, it's happening anyway. Bring it out of the shadows. I've used the word shadows quite a lot. We have. Yeah, I'm just a big Cliff, Cliff Richard fan. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Huge Cliff Richard fan. Can't stop thinking about the shadows. The side notes now, on which we discuss some of the more offbeat stories of the cricketing week. Uh, i got a couple of side notes for you this week, Tone. This first one comes from Mail Online. I've had to go to the mail for two articles this week, so obviously read that Lou Vincent article. <laughs> yeah. That's had to pinch my nose while I pulled these up. Uh, but this one is entitled, Now That's Out of the Park, Cricket Balls Sent to the Edge of Space on a Balloon. In 1971, Alan Shepard played golf on the moon. In 2007, Clay Anderson played American football on the International Space Station. And now, in 2014, a cricket ball has joined the exclusive club of sporting objects that have been sent to space. My God. Or at least the edge of it. The England and Wales Cricket Board sent the cricket ball to the edge of space for what they claim is the first time. It was a stunt for the start of a competition called the NatWest T20 Blast. This sees 18 counties from England and Wales compete in an 11-week season of cricket. To perform the feat, the ECB worked with a team of aeronautical engineers to launch the official match ball from Edgbaston Stadium, Birmingham. The ball reached a peak altitude of 110,000 feet, about three times the height at which a commercial airplane cruises. It was attached to a helium balloon in order to ascend and endured temperatures of minus 54 degrees Celsius. At peak height, the balloon popped, sending the ball plummeting to Earth at up to 500 miles per hour before a parachute deployed to bring it safely back to the planet in Newbury, Berkshire, in near-perfect condition. <laughs> David Collier, the ECB chief executive, said in a statement, quote, ahead of the launch of the NatWest T20 Blast season, we wanted to do something that would reflect the competition's exciting brand of cricket and vibrant in-ground atmosphere. <laughs> By sending a cricket ball to the edge of space, we've come up with an innovative idea which vividly illustrates our own plans <laughs> to make this summer's NatWest T20 Blast competition a truly memorable experience for cricket fans everywhere. There's a great comment underneath this mail article tone that just says, I didn't think it was possible, but they've made cricket even more boring. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I'm presuming those, those kind of quotes attributed there, you know, 
He didn't just say that. No, it's in a statement. Yeah, it's exactly. The press yeah. release. Yeah. Vividly <laughs> ridiculous. What a bunch of garbage. What a bunch of old garbage, eh? Is there anything more pointless that's ever happened than that? I mean, no. It's probably the answer, isn't it? The one um, thing I will say in his defence is there is quite a cool picture of the cricket ball. Here it is. Look, I'll show you. Oh, that is quite cool, actually. It's actually That's, a very cool picture. That is pretty cool. Uh, almost as cool as that shot of Baumgartner jumping out of the balloon, <laughs> isn't it? It's kind of on that scale. They should have got Baumgartner to go up there with it. Yeah, missed the trick there, didn't they? <laughs> he could have uh, brought it back down with him, landed and immediately bowled it in the, the opening <laughs> over of the NatWest T20 landed? Blast. He have landed in the bloody Edgbaston. Well, Lancashire are bringing Flintoff back. I'm sure one of the counties could have got Baumgartner in. Have you watched any NatWest Blast yet? Uh, no, and it seems a shame because this stunt vividly illustrates what a, a vibrant in-ground atmosphere uh, they have at this competition. So it seems like I'm missing out. Another side note, Tone. Uh, I've got two more, actually. I'll rattle these two off. They both come from Crick Info, so let's just get on with it. Uh, the first one, Wedding Crashes. Umar Akmal's troubles with the law pop up at all the wrong times. The latest infraction happened on the day of his wedding when he was found to be in breach of a law in Lahore that stipulates that only one dish can be served and that the function had to end at 10pm. The restrictions were intended to discourage people from splurging on lavish weddings. Police official Rana Imtiaz said, quote, there were violations of the Marriage Act and a case has been registered and four people arrested. Akmal was not among those named in the report and had already left the premises by the time the authorities visited, but he could still be in danger of a reprimand. This after a very public encounter with a traffic policeman in February. In February, Tony Umar Akmal was charged by police in Lahore for allegedly misbehaving with a warden after committing a traffic violation. Police said he did not stop at a traffic signal in the commercial Firdus market area in Lahore and later engaged in a scuffle with a traffic warden. So yeah, on the wrong side of the law. The long arm of the law is catching the, up with Umar Akmal. You'd have thought the brothers Akmal would have been be, you know, beyond the law, above the law. <laughs> above the law, yeah. Uh, so that's, uh, you know, that's amazing to hear that they're kind of, they are human after, they're mortal after all. They are one of us. <laughs> Quite heavy-handed stuff, though, isn't it? Yeah, only one dish at a wedding seems a bit... <laughs> it's a bit, bit strict. Yeah. What would, what would the one dish be? And you? also by dish... Do they mean, like, one meal? Course. One course, right? Yeah. Not like, you can just have potatoes. Yeah. Yeah. What you, dish would you have? You just have hummus. What dish would I have? And I can't say coconut brownies that I've made. No. Because uh, they wouldn't get eaten. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know, Tone, actually. I make a cracking macaroni cheese these days, and that you can just sort of have on its own. What dish would you have? Well, last meal, Tone. Toad in the hole. Really? Not last meal. At a wedding, though, Toad in the Hole goes down a tree. <laughs> All the best weddings I've been to, they've served Toad in the Hole. It's a real conversation starter, isn't it, with, with the bridesmaids? Yeah, do you enjoy the Toad in the Hole? <laughs> uh, There's almost an innuendo in that as well. Not very so. closely, yeah, very close. <laughs> very close, but not quite there, fortunately. It's a similar syllable to your name as well, so it's, you know... <laughs> yeah, I hadn't of, thought about that. It's ripe for uh, misunderstandings. I hadn't and thought about that at Comedy all. can spring from that. One more side note for you then, Tone. Uh, also from Crick Info, Trinidad schoolboy hits quadruple ton. He shares a name synonymous with West Indies cricket and 14-year-old Kristen Kalicharan matched a number also indelibly linked to the game when he scored an astonishing 
404 in a schools match in Trinidad. The mammoth innings came for Vishnu Boys Hindu College in the Power Gen Secondary Schools Cricket League playoff quarterfinal. It was only a 35-over contest, but that did not stop Kalicharan, who captains Trinidad and Tobago's under-15 side, ripping up the record books with an innings that included 44 fours and 31 sixes. He is no stranger to setting landmarks, even if this one did go to a greater level. Last year, he had set a new mark for the highest score in the secondary school cricket league, overtaking a record previously held by a certain BC Lara. Speaking about his quadruple hundred, a feat Lara achieved in the 2004 test against England in Antigua, Kalacharan said, quote, At the beginning, I was just batting normal, just aiming to make 100. But when I got to my century, I realised I could score more and more, and I just continued to bat. I am not overreacting about it. I'm just feeling happy I reached there. I'm staying focused. 404, that's a lot of runs in a 35-over game. It's more runs than I've ever scored in my career. Kind of, I say career. That I've scored in cricket added up. Cumulative, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, not, it's not only more runs than I scored cumulatively in my career. It's more runs than I scored cumulatively in my career times four at least, I would say. Yeah. Uh, presumably a name to watch out for then at some stage. How old is he? 14? 14, yeah. So give him you know, three years, he should be in the West Indies side, shouldn't he? Really? That might be a bit ambitious. Well, if he's good. Even our school team didn't concede but like, that many. Yeah, you'd be pretty disappointed if you'd just been whacked for 404 by some 14-year-old. That's the thing. I, they always interview the batsmen. I want, to, yeah, I want an interview yeah. with the bowlers. What was that like? I want to know the bowling figures there. I want to know the, the, the guy standing at, you know, I don't know, fine leg for... <laughs> well, for, for, well, no, for, it's the traumatised fielders at long off and long on. Yeah. They're just tearing after the ball all the time. And then they've got to climb into the next field to pick it up when it's gone over their heads. That's who I want to hear from. Snake's alive. It's 55. And that's about it for the World Cricket Show this week. Have you had a good one, Tone? I've enjoyed it. Yeah? I've enjoyed the match-fixing stuff. That was a bit of a downer. It was. It was quite heavy this week, we wasn't just it? Like, when are we going to talk about cricket next? Well, actual cricket? Yeah. Well, the uh, England-Sri Lanka one-day series is ongoing. In fact, the first game is happening right now. I can tell you that Sri Lanka are 104 for four, needing another 122 from 12.3 overs in the first ODI. Who got the fourth wicket? Treadwell got Jai Wardner out. Nice one. Uh, so, yeah, well, I guess we'll talk about the ODI series next week. Did you watch the 2020 the the 2020 series as well. Well, yeah, it was a long series. Did it you was. watch it? Yeah, I watched some of it, yeah. Alex Hales looked good again. Yeah, England lost, though, didn't they? A bit disappointing. The new era, similar to the old era. Yeah, uh, it's very, like, worryingly similar. I, also, what's, what's with all these innovations that have crept in? Like the, uh, the wasp. Wasp, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how I feel about WASP. What does WASP stand for? White Anglo-Saxon Protestant yeah. is one thing it stands for, but I don't, know what, win, I don't know what this is. Win achievement score percentage or something. <laughs> yeah, that's probably it. It's probably not far off, to be fair. Yeah, I'm guessing it starts with win and ends with percentage. It must be percentage, yeah. We could look But then it says WASP, and then it gives you a percentage. So yeah. it says the WASP is 18% or whatever. So it's the win... Projection? Maybe projection, yeah. Win. Because otherwise that's like the help position yeah, you know, in yeah, life saving, yeah. which is the Pin number. heat elimination, lessening position position. Uh, yeah. I've got a lot of material about the help position. Yeah, that's good. Well, let's move on to from that. Yeah, the wasp. I don't know. That's, that is definitely new the, yeah, like the other day, That's new it? the other day, yeah. yeah. I wonder where, how long they've taken to come up with that. 
that we need a new thing. What's our thing this year? It's There's the always got to be a new thing. I wonder if they'll it? do it at the test match. Because well, last like... year it was the rev counter and no one really got that excited about that. The rev counter was really annoying. <laughs> Every single ball, like distracting thing. Where And the revs, I'm sure the scale of the revs changed every time it came up. And also, it largely just went to the same position every single time. Yeah. Like, it didn't really illustrate much. <laughs> That's a waste of time. Well, yeah, maybe Wasp is a bit more interesting, but also well, arguably pointless. But so Wasp, you know, England were, I don't know, whatever, you know, 60-odd for, or 70-odd for three or whatever they were. And the Wasp was at, like, 5%. I was like, why am I watching this then? Like, it's, like, it's a bit like, I don't know, it kills all hope. A bit. Yeah, that's the antithesis of what they tell their commentators. Like, you know, Sky and all TV companies say to their commentators, like, you can never say that this is yeah. done and dusted, even if it's absolutely done and dusted, because you've got to keep the viewers there Yeah, exactly. the adverts. But yeah, with the Wasp, it's like, oh, 1%. All right, I'm going to go. It's yeah, going to go to the beach. It's yeah. better, but, like, Wasp. I've actually got to go to a bingo night and... Are they, the commentator's going to start saying, like, you know, the wasp says 3%, but don't believe a word of it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I was a bit disappointed as an England fan to see Ian Bell come back. Uh, as much as I love Ian Bell, great player, you know, arguably England's best test batsman at this point, I'm not sure that he should necessarily be in the T20 team. He hasn't played a T20 of any description for three and a half years. And they brought him straight back in and he got, what, 13 off 17? Hmm. Judging by the way... They're... So predictable. Judging by the way they've picked these first two teams of the Moors, Moors, Moors era, you know, I, I don't hold out much hope that I'm going to see my predicted team come out for the first test. It's going to be all the same old, old guns, isn't it? Same old faces and also just, I don't know, they brought Carberry in for this game. All right, it's a change of management, but you'd have thought if they were going to play Carberry, they would have played him in, you know, taken him to the World 2020. Now, what's the point? You know, yeah. That's two and a half years before the next one. Are they expecting him to be there at the next tournament? Also, he Why didn't get any runs. Bell? He dropped an absolute, you know, another dolly. Yeah, strange, strange selections, really, but... Anyway, it does. At this point, it looks like England are going to win this first game. The Wasp must be saying that England are, going to, are likely to win this this game. Uh, but we'll talk about the One Day series in much more depth on next week's show. Between now and then, if you like the World Cricket Show, you can get more involved in it by going onto the internet. We're on Facebook. We're one of these things that are on Facebook. We've got one of these Facebook pages that you may have heard about. Facebook.com/slash Cricket Show. Click the like button there. Follow us on Twitter. At Cricket Show is the show account. You can follow Tony at Tony Cover, T O N Y C V double R. You can follow me at Adam Bayford12. And I've actually started tweeting, Tone. Have you? Yeah. I'm probably mostly going to be tweeting about novels. Right. So I don't know whether people are interested in that. But follow me there. I thought your thing was Veronica to. Mars. Well, yeah, but then I've, I've watched all of Veronica You've run Mars. Out of now, things yeah. to tweet about. I've watched it all. I've watched the movie and everything. You're going to be tweeting about the European elections tonight? Well, you'd think I would be, because I've got a lot of political views, as you well know. Uh, but I'm actually intending to go home, bake something, and then go to bed. What are you going to bake? I don't know. And why? Could be anything. Who knows? Why? Just, I just love baking, as we've been, as we've wow. been through before. Buy it in. We've been over this time. I love baking. Pay someone else to bake for you. It's feeling better. <laughs> now you've kind of... You've declared to the world that you love baking. I will be expecting, yes, maybe, yeah, at least each show, you to bring something along. I'll bring some baked goods to next week's show. Could you? Definitely. Yeah, something nice. Like, well, like a baked cheesecake would be good. I'm going to bake a cheesecake soon. Uh, or maybe yet. just some like fairy cakes. Quite like fairy cakes. Or kind of cupcakes. What are you, seven? Fairy cakes? Yeah. 
Uh, uh, yeah, so whatever, whatever else your mind kind of comes up with. I'll come up with something. I'm going to make a cheesecake at some point, so maybe I'll bring that next week. If I bring a this cheesecake, this thing, can you read a book by next week? Hey, let's not set a time limit on it. <laughs> <laughs> You've still got those two <laughs> books out of the library. Got to give it to I you. I took out for you. Got to give it to you. About a year and a half ago. <sighs> right, come on, let's get out of here. All right. Well, I just need to say that you can also send us an email, worldcreekshow at gmail.com. And if you've got a spare minute or two this week, write a review for us on iTunes. We really appreciate those. Thanks to everyone that has done that. But yeah, that's it. Thanks for your contribution tonight, Tone. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Stay in school, uh, and we'll see you next time. Cheery bye. Cheery bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.